Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hello, everyone. This is Rosie Tran, and welcome to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weibo.tv special report sponsored by our friends at DuckDuckGo. You may have heard my voice at the end of every episode on Weibo.tv. I'm the one asking you to leave a review. Which, by the way, I hope you've done, right? You've left us a review? Okay, great. Unless you're lying. <clears throat> well, I'm a lot more than a voice. I'm also Weibo.tv's intrepid reporter, and over the course of this miniseries, I'm going to share with you short, actionable tips you can use to protect your privacy. These tips were sourced by our fearless leader, he really hates when we call him that, BJ Mendelson. BJ, for those of you who may not know, is the author of the book Privacy and How We Get It Back, a book that was published in the before times. This means before COVID. BJ is currently writing a sequel called How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So everything we're going to hear in this miniseries is the most up-to-date information he's researched, bringing us into 2023 and beyond. Throughout the series, you're also going to hear from some special guests and experts in the information security field. You hear that sound? That means it's time for today's privacy tip. This week, we're continuing our five-part investigation into how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. In part one, we covered what to do if you're being stalked. This week, in part two, we're going to touch on three important resources we want you to take advantage of. Then we'll get to an interview with Lee Honeywell, the CEO of Tall Poppy. Lee was previously a technology fellow at the ACLU and a security program manager at Microsoft. So here's what we want to cover with you this week. First, BJ has been working on how to explain installing a PFSense firewall and the Protect Lee Vault. This is something we feel strongly that everyone should have, especially if you create content online or if you're just a woman on the internet. Most men are creeps. These creeps don't like women with opinions, and we could all use an extra layer of protection from them. What more needs to be said, you know? But installing a PFSense firewall with your new Protectly Vault is hard to explain in a podcast. So we're going to include a link in today's show notes on how to get that PFSense firewall installed from Michael Bazell. Michael worked previously for the FBI's Cybercrime Task Force. There's no one better to guide you on what version of the Protectly Vault you need and how to install the PFSense software to work with it. Just a word of caution, the Protectly Vaults are not cheap. Depending on your setup, the vault will run anywhere between $500 and $1,000. Getting the vault and installing a PFSense is the second most annoying thing we ask you to do in this miniseries, but we feel it's worth the time and to learn how to install and use it. All right, the second thing we wanted to cover. In today's interview, you'll hear Lee describe something called a pig butchering scam. This is an oddly named but prevalent scam involving crypto. Basically, strangers on the internet will pretend to be your friend and talk you into investing in crypto. You should never, ever invest with someone you don't know. When it comes to pig butchering scams, con artists and other criminals will try their best to befriend you. Then they'll try to convince you to invest with them. So a good rule to follow is to ignore all unsolicited messages sent your way, especially if you get a message from someone claiming they were trying to message someone else. Finally, in today's show notes, we're going to include a few really important guides and support groups for victims for online stalking, bullying, and harassment. We're also going to include a link to Carrie Goldberg's Victims Rights Law Firm. 
If you visit Carrie's website and click on the resources tab, you'll find information for people who have become the victims of revenge porn. Revenge porn is something we want to cover in this show, but the solutions vary depending on what state you live in. So on Carrie's website, you can find the exact statute and additional information concerning the laws in your state. This way, you can find the exact information you need and take action. Plus, we highly recommend contacting Carrie if you need a reasonable attorney to protect you from stalkers, pervs, and other creeps. Wow, that was a lot more ground than I thought we'd cover this week. But as you'll hear Lee say in the following interview, maintaining your privacy is a marathon, not a sprint. So as you go through this miniseries, take your time in implementing each step. There's no rush to do all of them right now unless you're in an extreme circumstance. And if you are in an extreme circumstance, we recommend reaching out to Carrie and your employer reaching out to Lee. We'll let Lee take it from here. Lee, if you could take a moment just to, because you, you've done so much and I like I was trying to struggle with, like, how do I introduce you? What would be the, the way that you like to introduce yourself? Oh, man. So, OK, starting with my current role, um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tall Poppy. We do personal security for folks that are very high profile, whether it's because of their day job um, or because of side projects. Um, we, we work with a number of high profile organizations whose employees face personal security threats. Um, so one of the ways that I like to describe what we do, and I'll, I'll go into the yeah. broader sort of bio after that, but is, is if you think about the sort of outside of the corporate firewall, right? Like I'm not trying to protect people's work emails and their work networks. I'm trying to protect folks in their electronic lives outside of their day job. Um, but I have figured out that this is something that employers want to pay for, which I really prefer because I would rather have like employers pay for the sort of structural consequences of the the dangers of the work that people do. So um, prior to starting Tall Poppy, uh, I spent a year as a technology fellow at the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, my, my sort of running joke is that my job was to explain computers to lawyers so that we could sue the government uh, <laughs> nice. over like privacy, civil liberties, that kind of thing. But that like that's it's a joke, but that actually was my job. Right. Like <laughs> that was that was the work um, and did a bunch of work around surveillance and privacy issues. Um, but the, I was there sort of 20 2017 was the, the bulk of my time at 2017 into 2018. Um, and I was there through like the height of the Me Too movement. Um, and I realized in, in, in working with a number of people who came forward as Me Too whistleblowers, just how connected the sort of digital privacy, digital security work that I had been doing for years in my evenings and weekends as almost like an incident responder around online harassment, um, just how essential that work was. Uh, for folks being able to speak out around like victimization and the the kinds of security consequences that you know folks who spoke out about Harvey Weinstein were dealing with, like uh, right. that these were folks that you know had been victimized in the past, were bravely coming forward with their accounts of their experiences, and were dealing with all of this like just people being super shitty on the internet as it as it tends to happen. So okay, back a little bit further. So I worked at the ACLU. I got that job because 2016, you may recall, there was an election that was like a bit momentous and awful and terrifying for right. folks living in the States, especially like if they're on a visa or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I had basically like, I considered moving back to Canada at that point. Um, but I had, I had decided to leave like sort of mainstream tech security to go do this like advocacy job. Um, prior to the advocacy job and the election and all that stuff, I was on security teams at a couple of big tech companies, um, Slack most recently, 
Prior to that, I was at uh, Heroku, which is part of Salesforce. Prior to that, I was at Microsoft. Um, I feel like the Microsoft job is like the easiest one to explain because it's like, you know, when you reboot your computer for the security updates, that was me. I wasn't quite pressing the whole button, but <laughs> I was the one coordinating between. So you'd have a security researcher who would report a vulnerability in like Excel to Microsoft. Be like, hey, <laughs> I figured out how to crash Excel in a way that lets me hack you. They would send an email to secure at Microsoft.com. And I was one of the people like triaging those emails and working with nice. like the Excel team and the marketing team and the researchers that would investigate like variants in the particular crash. And then like the various governments that we had to tell, hey, by the way, there's going to be this like Excel security update coming next month. You should definitely install it. <laughs> sort of. It's funny because it was like almost a marketing thing, but it was like getting people to install the damn patches. Oh my yes. gosh. Yeah. Was that, anyway. was that as, I, I mean, just the way you describe it, I imagine it was frustrating, but like, was that... Was that a huge source of frustration, just getting people to actually implement these security updates? One of my dearest coworkers, uh, David Seidman, wrote a or gave a talk a couple of times about the work that we collectively did on that team. Um, and the talk was titled, Why Johnny Can't Patch. And it just sort of like breaks my heart. And, you know, it's one of those things where as I'm doing this sort of user education around like personal security, personal privacy, this, this sort of like the the hassle factor is real like it, it's annoying to have to like reboot your computer um and the thing that i try to redirect people to is like it's annoying to have to reboot your computer but you know who else it annoys is the hackers because they can't <laughs> hack you <laughs> because you're killing their bugs when you reboot that computer you're shutting down all of these like ingresses for an attacker and that's like to me that it, uh, trying to convey that sort of a lot of my thinking in this stuff is is really like how do i convey mental models around how to keep oneself safe and i think that you know that mental model of like hacking into a fully patched iphone is like one to three million dollars hacking into an iphone running like three-year-old os is basically free Right. That there's there's sort of this economics of how these attacks are perpetrated. And one of the ways that you make it literally like dollars more expensive to an attacker is you install your damn updates. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Let, let me ask you uh, just real quick about Slack. Does the Slack sound effect live rent free in your head? Um. So. Oh, it's so funny, like sound effects. Um, I I have ADHD. I've been very public about like my struggles there. It's it's like it's super the struggle is real, as they say. Yes. Um, and one of my like coping mechanisms is I turn off all sound notifications on basically everything except SMS. A SMS slash iMessage is the only thing that's allowed to make sound on my phone. <laughs> um, and certainly like nothing makes notification sounds on my computers. Um, cause I will just, I will just like click on, I can't resist clicking on the thing. So, yeah. um, definitely if that were not the case, the knock brush would hundred percent live rent free in my head. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, but it, it really, I was thinking about this the other day in terms of, you know, I was at Slack from 2015 through 2017. I started as employee about 180 and I left at about 700 people. And that's, that's really like such an interesting and critical time in the evolution of a company, um, yeah. both in terms of the company culture, the product, the like go to market, all of these different pieces. That's that's the steep part of the hockey stick um, in in cheesy startup land parlance. Right. Um, and I think the the thing that I really 
took from that um, was really like seeing how that tool changed how a lot of people like work day to day. Um, it's sort of silly, but like when I left Slack, I had inbox zero because I just like didn't send that many emails, right? Like right. emails were only for inter interacting with externals. And today, like, you know, we use Slack really heavily at Tall Poppy. And even with externals, we often set up like shared Slack channels and other like ways of collaborating that aren't just like email back and forth. Of course, I'm always like drowning in email regardless. But um, yeah, the 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 format of whether it's a Slack or a Teams or all of the different alternatives, having that sort of channel-based synchronous communication that is also transparent to the organization, I think is a really fundamental shift in our like day-to-day -day yeah. working lives that I, frankly, I like haven't seen as much writing or uh, sort of thinking about as I would like. I really, really enjoyed, and I think it has a lot of interesting privacy implications as well. Um, Anne Helen Peterson and Charlie Wurtzel's Out of Office yes. book. Last year yes. was a really fantastic read in terms of like the the future of work gets thrown around as like a, a sort of business buzzword. But I think we are really in this like phase state transition of like how we work, how we interact, not just the fact that like, you know, you and I are talking to each other in like a tiny box on, on our screens right. um, versus like I remember the last one of the last podcasts I recorded in person before the pandemic uh, they literally like sent a person with a microphone to to do the recording thing, <laughs> nice. um, and uh, and and I've recorded podcasts like in person with folks as well. Um, and yeah, it's just it's such a. On the one hand, there's all of these like big feelingsy things about the past couple of years in terms of like how actually legitimately traumatic it was for a lot of people, right. but there's also this like huge set of feelings and in some cases trauma, in some cases like possibility and opportunity and growth of like how our workplaces have changed. And I don't know, I don't have like an answer, but that's definitely a thing I've been thinking a lot about. I'm a Facebook hipster. I then deleted my Facebook account and then re-upped it in 2005 and have not been able to get off the stupid thing since. So, so why can't you get off? So what, what are your... <laughs> you guys. The award-winning Smashing Security Podcast, hosted by Graham Cluley and Carol Terrio each week. It takes an irreverent look at cybersecurity and online privacy, helping you find out what's happening with your data. Find it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps, or at smashingsecurity.com. It's not all filth. Yeah, you know, I always tell people, uh, since I was 18, I've worked from home. Uh, so when COVID hit, you know, people are like, oh, how are you adapting? And I just, uh, the world caught up to me, I, I guess, right? Like, but it's refreshing if there's a silver lining and there's not because it was terrible and it still is terrible. But if there's a silver lining, you're right. I think it did kind of open up our eyes to how we could work. And so, well, and it's, okay. and it's been absolutely transformative for people with disabilities, especially yes. anything mobility related, energy levels, like the kinds of stuff you know, the, both on the disability front and also like the climate front, just like, you know, all the nature is healing jokes at the start of the pandemic, but at the same time, like the amount, like reducing 
commutes are horrible. Yes. They're horrible. Nobody should commute. There was a study, there was a study in Sweden that I'll, I'll have to track down, but uh, that showed that being able to walk to work has as much of an impact on your happiness as yes. uh, 40% pay raise or being newly in love. <laughs> that is, I've, I've seen these come out and just, there's been a lot of research in the past weeks about yeah. just being in nature, right? Just being mm-hmm. outdoor, working out, staring at a tree. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, it's life-changing in, in a good way. Like, again, there's no silver linings. This was a terrible situation, but the research that's come out of it has been enlightening. And I think yeah. that there, there's positive things to come. But let me, let me ask you real quick. Yeah, with, for sure. With tall poppy, like what, what is the most common thing that you've heard from people that you're trying to protect? Like in terms of like a high profile, uh, like a celebrity or someone that works for the government, like what is, what are some of the most common things that you hear over and over about uh, their concerns when it comes to protecting themselves? It's really interesting. We go into a lot of conversations with folks where they are concerned about there's there's sort of a nebulous concern around online harassment, online attacks, personal targeting of individuals. And um, being able to say, like, I, we know you have this general worry. Let's make it really concrete. And here are the things of the things that are that are concrete about the set of threats. Here's what we can do. Here's what we don't have control over, but we can help respond to. Um, and here's what we need you to do yourself. And we will like handhold you through doing the things that you have to do yourself. Um, and so really what that, what that work looks like for us, um, is we, there's sort of two elements to our work. One of them is, uh, what we call a digital footprint, um, working with people's public data footprint. Um, and we have that, we do that either through a self-serve tool, um, or we have like a tech enabled services version where our team of analysts do a bunch of the work. So when I say digital footprint, it's a combination of um, states, you may be aware, has maybe not so great privacy laws, even like California (laughs) started to come out with CCPA and there's like some good forward motion there, but there's this history of people's data just being like, I'm just going to put your home address on the internet, NBD, like who's going to stop me? Well, hopefully people will stop that at some point, but um, through like regulatory action, which is what is really needed. Um, But in the interim, there is, you know, there's this whole ecosystem of companies that just like put your home address on the internet. And um, so we work with, uh, we have some automations around removing that data from these different like data broker sites. Um, In addition to that, your data ends up in lots of places in a non-automated fashion. Um, which is, you know, maybe your kid was in a school play and there's a fly- PDF of the flyer on the school website and it's got your phone number in it because you were like the choir director. What Obviously a sort of silly contrived scenario, but there's 8,000 bajillion different possible ways that that info could end up out there and an adversary could find it. So when we do our sort of assessment or when we teach people through our tools how to do this themselves, it's really a function of like getting yourself into that adversary mindset doing that evaluation of what information is out there, what can you take down, what can't you take down, which you need to have in your sort of situational awareness. Um, the, the classic case of the stuff you can't take down is uh, electoral records, campaign donations, because that stuff is in, you know, it is in the public record in perpetuity. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. important for democracy that at least like some metadata, I, I wish they would let you change the address because there's all right. sorts of like, yeah. you know, people have stalkers. Those people should not be disenfranchised from participating in like public life. There are real trade-offs to be made in terms of privacy versus transparency. And I think that's a really interesting one that hasn't seen enough uh, eyeballs. So yeah. that's the data footprint piece. 
Um, the second piece of what we do, uh, what we really focus on is personal account security and protection against account takeovers. Um, if you think of sort of like, you know, I'm guessing you're similar age to me when you're growing up, it was like, I got the antivirus on my computer, so I won't get computer viruses. No. That was a thing. What we have today is much more people getting their accounts taken over. You know, when your uncle's Facebook gets hacked, it is not it is almost almost never that there's like an actual like credential stealing piece of malware on his computer. Every so often, I think in five years of doing this work, the number of times I've run into this is precisely two. Um, wow. It's it's typically not credential stealing malware. It is typically that your uncle was using the same password on Facebook as he was using on LinkedIn in 2012. And LinkedIn had a huge data breach back then. And you basically have to take into account whatever password you used on LinkedIn in 2012, your worst enemy has it. So don't use that password anymore, right? So that's the sort of like personal security, account security piece that we really, really deep dive into a yes. combination of uh, sort of assessing what kinds of accounts people have based on open source intelligence research, um, as well as, a, you know, we have the self-serve software-based option, which folks can like self-attest to what kinds of accounts they have. And we don't, we don't ask for any account access. We're not, we're not a password manager. We're not like OAuthing to all of these different types of accounts. Um, it's much more like instructional content. Um, yes. And then when we work one-on-one -on -one with folks, we do a deep dive uh, interview about how they use technology and then make a set of structured recommendations around it, as well as like support them through them. That's awesome. And I, yeah. that's, I just wish that there was so many more services like that, that people knew about and could take advantage of, because I feel like we, we can't do this on our own, right? Like it's. People shouldn't have to, right? Yes. Like there's, I, I think there's, I think there's a really interesting gap in the market in terms of what, what we do, where it's, we're trying to build out this sort of trusted advisor in an automated way that walks you through like, Hey, you know, Instagram has added TOTP based two-factor authentication. You should go turn that on. Hey, Twitter's let's talk about Twitter. Twitter's screwing around right now with their two-factor authentication. What does it mean to you as a user? I actually need to like write an email about this today. What does it mean to you as a user that Twitter is starting to literally charge money for SMS-based 2FA? Well, arguably, like we for our highest risk users, we don't really want them using SMS-based 2FA because of like the rise in SIM swapping attacks. Um, that is something that like I had a two SIM swap weekend a couple of weeks ago, which is just oh, wow. like, like two different like friends and clients got, got SIM swapped. And I was just like, this is the, the rise in SIM swapping. Um, even our, up until fairly recently, our very strong recommendation for folks who were concerned about it was to use Google Fi. Um, and you may have seen in the news recently that Google Fi themselves had a security incident, which involved the hacking of their underlying cell phone provider, which is T-Mobile. So that was like, it, it, I think it really speaks to actually the security of Google Fi's authentication mod model, where it's, you know, relying on the security of your Google account, um, that the attackers were not able to breach like the Google account process. And they had to go to like the underlying infrastructure, whether it was T-Mobile or something like a, what are they called? Um, business process automation. These are the sort of um, outsourced customer support type organizations. Um, I think there's a bunch of really interesting stuff going on there in terms yeah. of uh, securing that type of organization. So, yeah, it's a changing landscape. And fundamentally, like we want to be that that one stop shop for people to get the updates, to, to know that they're taken care of because they've got somebody watching out 
for all of the different ways that consumer accounts become vulnerable and that individuals can take action to make them themselves less vulnerable. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. And for people listening to us who might have been subject to a SIM swapping situation, what would you recommend that they do? So for folks living in the States, I do still think that Google Fi is the best option out there. But I, I think that it's really important to, um, as you're going through and auditing your different ac- online accounts, making sure that uh, SMS is not a recovery method for your um, for your various online accounts, uh, SMS or phone calls, uh, because fundamentally, like your phone number is only as secure as the security of your tel- teleco, your your phone number is only as secure as the security of your phone provider. And frankly, like none of them have good security. Um, I do still recommend for folks that are on uh, Verizon, there is a number lock service that you can enable, um, which will add an additional layer of protection. I have seen that bypassed. Um, and I think it's important to know that that is not infallible, much like it turns out Google Fi not infallible. Um, it really does raise the bar of difficulty for an attacker. And I think that's that's one of the big things with with a lot of these different sort of pieces of personal security advice is um, they're, you're dealing with an adversary who is constantly changing and learning. So to a certain degree, you have to constantly be changing and learning your practices. Um, and that's where working with someone like us, where it's our job to be paying attention to those changes um, and keeping folks up to date, uh, like that can be a huge win. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find like one source, a single source of truth, right? When it comes to updates, like you got the tech blogs, they'll do great stuff. And then you've got the security researchers, but it's hard to find that like one stop shop uh, for information, which is why I was so excited to have you on. Um, let me, let me, you have this, this terrific quote and I want to make sure I get it right. Cause I, I think it's something I really want to hone in on uh, where you said that we are the custodians of each other's secrets. Could you tell me a bit more about what that means? Yeah, I think it's, um, Something I, I I hear fairly often from folks who are maybe less technical or just like have kind of a little bit thrown up their hands in despair around technology and security um, is is people saying stuff like, oh, you know, they can hack my Facebook. I don't care. I don't like I have no big secrets. But, you know, what I was trying to convey with that quote is that we are all um, even if we feel comfortable as individuals with somebody like rummaging around in our emails. Uh, our sibling may have sent us health information, our like other loved ones may have talked about their divorce, like whatever the sort of personal circumstances of each of our lives are, we all exist in in relation to each other. Um, and many of the details of those relations exist in our inboxes and our DMs and all of these other like personal data sources. So I think it's really important to um, basically like sort of expand your zone of care from like, ah, whatever, somebody sees how many like shopping newsletters I subscribe to, no big deal to like, ah, what is the other sensitive information that might be contained in these different types of accounts? And maybe I'm going to like step up the level of just general cautiousness I have um, in order to make sure that like other people aren't vulnerable if I get attacked. 
Right. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned, like I, just having this be a communal effort for privacy in general, I think is important and we don't hear that enough. What are, what are some of the things that you would advise people to, I mean, you mentioned a few of them about, you know, being extra sensitive about like what's in your inbox, but is there anything else that people should just maybe take a bit more care in thinking about when it comes to other people's data they might have? Yeah, I think the a couple of things. There's there's obviously the sort of basic personal security hygiene, using unique passwords, probably using a password manager so you don't have to remember 1,500 unique passwords. Um, Two-factor authentication, especially using an app or a YubiKey. Um, those sort of digital hygiene security basics. Um, the, the second piece is in thinking about other people's data. Um, whenever possible, like the most secure data is the data you've deleted. Right. The most secure data is the data that you don't have anymore. Um, so whether it's turning on disappearing messages in your chat program, if you're having a particularly sensitive conversation, um, whether it is uh, deleting that email that has the real estate details of your friend's house purchase, whatever the sort of circumstances are, but really like taking the time to to clean that stuff up. It's a little bit, little bit of spring cleaning, perhaps, um, but to depending on where what what hemisphere folks are in. Uh, as they're listing. Um, but I think really like making sure to, I think the sort of principle of data minimization is one that I think is, um, goes beyond just the sort of standard, like use unique passwords, don't get yourself hacked to like, what if we actually like got rid of stuff a little bit more? And that's very counter to the sort of um, tech industry ideology of just collect all the data. Um, the the one other uh thing that I'm thinking about is um, having recently read Danielle Citrin's book, The Fight for Privacy, um, really, really powerful sort of set of ideas around how we should think in a society of having a civil right to privacy, uh, in particular to intimate privacy. Um, and I think the where she where she goes with that in terms of thinking about the sort of, it's almost like a duty of care that we have to other people, um, I think really reaffirms both that sort of account security, account hygiene piece, and also like the get get rid of stuff if you, if you shouldn't have it anymore. Yes. Yeah, I just yeah. spent all weekend doing that. <laughs> Actually, yeah, emptying out Google, <laughs> nice. <laughs> go, going through Google Photos and going back to like 2009 and just zapping as much of it yep. as you could. Um, what would you say to people who are a bit nihilistic about privacy in general, like that they just think the cat's out of the bag, there's nothing that they can do about it. Oh, I think it's, I think we've got some big fights on our hands. Um, I, you know, I come back to the data broker stuff over and over yeah. again. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's been, there's a recent open letter from Epic, the Electronic Privacy Information Center, Consumer Reports, and a number of other civil rights uh, groups and nonprofits um, to the CFPB around um, how, you know, the CFPB should be better regulating uh, access to the sort of data broker information that is very similar to what's on your credit report. And I think there's like a, a real concern around the misuse of this sort of like public data for financial things that are like potentially regulated by the CFPB, but also all of the other, you know, the, the case I always think back to is, um, uh, judge Esther Salas, uh, who's a federal judge, I believe in Maryland, I'll probably get that wrong. Um, who had a plaintiff show up at her house uh, when she, I'm not sure if she wasn't there, but her, her son answered the door and the fellow shot her son. And it's just like, it's absolutely tragic. And it was absolutely enabled by these data brokers that just make it trivial for any American to find any other American's home address. Um, 
And, you know, I'm back in Canada these days. It is a, it's a different privacy landscape here. We have a much more like um, assertive sort of right to privacy um, and the, the way that data is taken care of in terms of the, the responsibilities that companies have to take care of their users' data is, is quite different, legally speaking. Um, but I think the, you know, the combination of the total lack of privacy laws in most states plus the like militarization of police and gun culture in general is a really like tragedy after tragedy is like a direct result of these. Um, so when folks are feeling nihilistic about that, like this is this is a call your senator, call your congressperson kind yes. of moment of like finding those me methods to advocate um, around privacy laws, work with nonprofits that are that are doing the advocacy work. I'm huge, huge Consumer Reports fan um, and yeah. really, really appreciate the, the work that they've been doing over the years with Permission Slip and other sort of privacy advocacy um, my other one that I'm fairly like latecomer to this, but um, I'm like low key obsessed with the work that the AARP does in terms of like protecting seniors from scams. They're po they have a podcast and newsletter. It's fantastic. It's definitely um, we, when we've seen the rise in these like what we call pig butchering scams. They're kind of a super depressing name, but um, I don't know if you've had any past guests on about this, but oh these are the. These are the scams where you get a wrong number text message. Like, oh, it was great to see you at the gala last week, Bob. It's like, I'm not Bob. Who's Bob? And the the hook is you start a conversation with the person and they will eventually like con you out of hundreds of thousands of dollars of cryptocurrency is the, that's the scam. Um, and these are just like, so these are being done at an industrial scale and people don't know about them. So it's interesting because we've almost had this, I wouldn't even say pivot, but um, as I've been talking about the company and like, what is the the work that we do as Tall Poppy, our original focus was really this like pure online harassment, like internet neo-Nazis are mad at me kind of situation. Um, and we've been evolving sort of to, to cover a broader perspective on personal security um, because that's, that's who's coming to us, right? It's, it's not just people that are dealing, that are extremely online, um, some of our clients are not online at all, but their work puts them at risk of increased targeting. Uh, in the few minutes that we have left, is there anything mm -hmm. that we didn't touch on that that you want to stress or bring up when it comes to privacy and security? Yeah, I think I, I always just want to reiterate like that the, the it's really easy to feel sort of nihilistic about how bad things are because they are kind of bad. Um, but starting with the things that are within our control as individuals, that's the sort of, you know, removing ourselves from data brokers, using strong passwords and doing those very concrete things that make us as individuals safer. It's sort of a put your own oxygen mask on first kind of thing, right? Where like we learn the practices to keep ourselves safe. Um, and then from there, expanding the circle, uh, almost everyone has like an older person or a less technically literate person in their life that they worry about because that person is vulnerable to the to scams to fraud to account takeovers taking the time to you know once you've got it all figured out for yourself reaching out to that person and saying like hey can i can i help you get onboarded to bitwarden here's a free password manager this will make your life easier because you'll be able to have strong unique passwords but you won't have to remember them all it's great so yeah i think that's terrific advice and uh it's something we encourage everyone listening to to do uh yeah this was great
Most things people hate about the internet comes from a lack of privacy, like those creepy ads that make you think your phone is listening to you. DuckDuckGo is an all-in-one privacy app that can help you with that. It's your internet browser with private search, tracking blocker, encryption, and even built-in email protection, all for free. Just go to DuckDuckGo.com to learn more. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. Thank you for listening to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv special report. I'm your host, Rosie Tran. Today's episode was written by BJ Mendelson, produced by Andrew Van Voris, and sponsored by DuckDuckGo. Due to the overwhelming demand for privacy audits, we want to make a quick announcement before we go. Doing one-on-one privacy audits is super time-consuming. This means BJ has less time to write these episodes and the new book, How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So... Along with his co-author, Amanda King, BJ is currently putting together an online course called Stupid Sexy Privacy, which you'll be able to purchase here at stupidsexyprivacy.com. The course will walk you through every privacy tactic discussed in today's episode in greater detail. If you'd like to know when the course becomes available, you can email BJ at bjmendelson at duck.com. The email address again is bjmendelson at duck.com. And we'll see you next time, right? <laughs>